Good morning. The teaching text today is from Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through Luke chapter 24, verses 9. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus's body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body had, was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the leaven and to the others. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter to you. So my roommate, uh, my senior year of college, was a big uh, Ohio-born football player, uh, wrestler. Actually, some of you will know him. Uh, his name is Harlan. Um, he's been around our church uh, some. And uh, he was also uh, not just a, a football player and a wrestler, but he was also a modern dancer, a ballerina, very talented fellow. And uh, he's a lifelong, lifelong friend. And one of my favorite stories of Harlan uh, that he's told me over the years of our friendship uh, is about this time he was at a club in Miami, uh, and to his very great surprise, Gloria Estefan walked into the club. And uh, Harlan, needless to say, huge fan of Gloria. Uh, Miami Sound Machine, the rhythm is going to get you uh, coming out of the dark. I mean, talk about an Easter song, folks. Magical, and uh, I know this is shocking. My cultural relevance is is staggering uh, when it comes to my stories. But Harlan sees uh, Gloria come into the club with a few friends and family, and he's sitting there, and he sees them go and get on the dance floor, and he thinks to himself, oh, "I'm so glad that that she is a huge pop star, and yet she can just come in with her friends and family and and relax and have a good time." And, and dance. I hope, I hope no one bothers them, uh, even though Gloria is so, so famous. Um, 
So he tells me that he starts to sort of like examine the social vibe, the dynamic that's going on in the club. And he begins to come up with a strategy right there that he is going to do some service uh, for Gloria. He is going to uh, get out on the floor and dance protect Gloria and her crew. Now, uh, uh, Gloria Estefan is the queen of Miami, uh, can probably handle herself just fine, uh, but Harlan does have noble intentions. He wants to, to dance protect their party, and so um, he dances around them, and he sort of tries to make sure that he's like looking out for them and getting in, in the way of anyone who, um, who might be trying to, to, uh, to, to, to get starstruck and, and encroach on their party and ruin the moment. I don't know how much he thinks about how much he might actually be doing that, but I love this story. I love to imagine in my head Harlan just dance protecting Gloria Estefan, like the look on his face, like the magic, the intensity. It is, it is hilarious to me every time I think of it. And then every year around Easter, I find myself getting that exact way. Uh, my inner dance protector uh, starts to come out. And it's not actually around Gloria, as wonderful as she is. Uh, but it's around this story. It's around the person of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. And um, I just confess this uh, need starts to boil up in me every year around Easter, Maybe, uh, probably at Christmas too. But I feel like, oh, I, I, I care about this so much. I want to make sure people uh, get this, get the opportunity to really encounter I don't, uh, uh, you know, Christ. I don't want any awkward moments to spoil this. I feel like I, I want to shuffle over here to this part of the story about, about how Jesus did this and, and make sure you know, hey, we know this sounds weird, but actually it's, it's phenomenal and it's truly amazing. And uh, I feel like I need to cover every possible angle and, and every possible objection and cover the historical context and why you should care about an obscure Jewish peasant from 2,000 years ago who was uh, executed by the Romans and what that means for us now. And I want to give all the evidence to you that shows that, um, you know, faith is always a part of, of our life on earth, and that's a very good thing. But there are reasons. There are very good, credible, intellectual reasons, um, historical reasons why you should believe uh, in this story of Jesus' resurrection, that it is, I, I truly believe, a verifiable historical fact. Um, see, already, I want to I wanna dance protect so bad right now. Um, I, I want to give you a C.S. Lewis quote so that you know we aren't super judgy, angry Christians, but uh, we're loving and we read books. And um, But <laughs> this year, uh, amongst... Uh, you know, all the Easter's of the, la of the last few, this year it just keeps hitting me every time I think about this, this moment, and I'm so glad that we are here together, but um, every time I think about Easter, it's been coming into my head that Jesus doesn't need my dance protection as much as I want to give it. Um, and, and actually, uh, you know, in Harlan's story, Gloria was probably just fine. Um, Jesus is certainly fine. Um, but I, I do hope, this is my prayer, my, I, I do hope that as we move along here that you will be able to really see uh, with the eyes of faith, to really sense in your being, in your heart, in your, in your body, in your mind, um, Jesus for yourself. I really, uh, I really hope, um, I hope that I will not get in the way uh, of that. And, and I'm not saying that with like some kind of 
uh, false humility. One of the things I love about the kingdom of God is that um, that it grows in a relational way, that God has given us um, this unbelievable privilege and opportunity of sharing the love of God with one another. That's one of the most tangible ways that we get to see and experience it. So I, I know that that me, me sharing and you sharing and, and the, the relational way the kingdom grows is a, is a big part of it. So I'm not saying that like, oh, I don't, I, you know, God doesn't use us. We get the joy of sharing, but I am asking in such a personal way that God would reveal himself to you today. Through everything that's said, I pray you have an experience of knowing that Jesus is near, Jesus is present. He's not just risen in the pages of some story. Um, He's not, he's not risen only in some time of history. He's not, he's not risen merely as some theological idea. One of the many enduring powerful realities of the resurrection is that you can experience communion with Christ today. Wherever you are listening to this this morning, I want you to know um, if there's even a small inkling of hope that this might be true for you, I hope that you would allow it to, to be entertained in your heart and mind for just a few moments this morning. That there is an opportunity, not just for you to hear a story about something that happened a long time ago, but for you to actually embrace and be embraced by the very Jesus who's on the pages of this story, that his presence is with you right now, wherever you are. So, it is Easter. <laughs> Happy Easter. And yet, also, we have to admit, right, this is 2020, and what a, a wild and strange year it has already been. It is something of a strange day. Um, it, it is Easter, and springtime is happening. The world is resurrecting like it does every year. Um, in, in the park this morning, is the, 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 it's full of bird song and blossoms and all the signs of, of new life. But we are in a difficult new place. We have death and sickness all around us. Um, at, at best, we are, uh, we are missing our friends or, go, or going stir-crazy. Um, uh, but many of us, it's worse than that. We're losing our jobs. We're, we're losing our streams of income. We, we don't know when we're going to run out of money. Some of us are exhausted to the point of, of breaking, especially those who are working on the front lines of caring for those who have been affected by this illness. Many are actually gravely ill and, and, and we need recovery, we need healing. Many have already died. It was so heartbreaking over the last 24 hours to see uh, the footage of the, of, the, of the mass graves in, in the Bronx and, and people dying without, um, without someone there for them and, 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 be, and being buried. Uh, it's just so agonizingly sad. It, we, we struggle, I struggle to put words to it at all. We are, we are grieving. Uh, we are struggling to breathe. Uh, we are uncertain. We are, we are behind locked doors, separated from one another. If ever there was a time we needed Easter, it is now. We need an experience like those first followers on Easter, on Easter evening, actually, as it's recorded in John 20. It says, on, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, hiding away, right? Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. We need to hear peace, shalom to flood our lives. We, we need a, a joy that is more substantial than our fears. We, we need Jesus to stand among us, uh, to speak to us, uh, to resurrect our hope. And I believe uh, that he will. 
Uh, it's Easter, and of course, I want to talk to you about the resurrection of Jesus. And whatever your starting place is with the story, with the person of Jesus, I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us. If you're absolutely skeptical and, and not sure what you think about this Jesus stuff at all, I'm so glad that you're listening right now. And if you've been walking with Jesus for all of your life, uh, you know, for 50, 60, 70 years, and, and you're here with us this morning, I'm so glad you're, you're with us. And so Quickly, I just want us to see this Easter morning, the, the, the events that take place, what happens on this Easter morning, and then I want to hopefully show us, um, uh, meditate together a little bit on what that means for every morning after Easter, for every morning, how does Easter impact it. So we're going to look at Easter morning, and then for a few moments at the end, we're going to look at how it relates to every morning. So let's take just a few minutes here at the, at the top and look at that first Easter morning. One of the earliest documents um, of the movement of Jesus was actually a letter um, that was written by a man who was a, an interesting character. He's all over the pages of the New Testament. He was a Roman citizen. Um, he was a, a, a vigorous Jewish teacher, and he very dramatically became a follower of Jesus. And he wrote this letter uh, to the city church in Corinth. Um, and in that letter, this man, Paul, he gives a summary of the Easter message that we just heard read in Luke uh, a few moments ago. He kind of gives us the breakdown. Uh, so you can watch the breakdown. First uh, Corinthians 15, here's what he says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. He's saying essentially the most important thing that you need to get, what I'm essentially trying to tell you is that Christ, Christ uh, has died, Christ was buried, and Christ was raised from the dead. And then he appeared to a bunch of people. That's essentially what, to say, what this is saying. And if you pay attention, interestingly, he is not saying uh, in, in, this, in this particular letter that was widely circulated public document in the early moments of the movement of Jesus, he's not saying take this information by faith. Uh, it is very inspirational. If you were having a hard time, it makes for a nice metaphor that might make you feel better. No, he's saying here are the facts that we have. These events took place just a short while ago, and many of the people who you can go and talk to, they're available, witnessed these events. Go and ask them about it. This public document is circulating. Presumably go and find them and ask them what they saw. And so you would expect if they were willing to risk that publicly uh, early on in the movement of Jesus, either you're going to expect the movement to sort of fizzle out as an obvious fraud because people could just go and ask these 500 people who were supposedly the ones who had seen Jesus risen, or... Uh, you're going to see it, it, it continue to, 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 to grow. And, and, and I think it's very interesting that he's saying, go and speak to these eyewitnesses. And what they're saying, at least about the resurrection, is, is not, here's my faith. They're saying, here's what I saw. 
And then you add on that to the historical reality, the, the layer, that uh, the cost of saying that they had seen this resurrection, that they had seen this Jesus who was executed by the, the mighty dominant power of Rome, uh, risen from the dead, the cost of that was very severe. Most of those who held on to this claim that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead had to give their lives um, for, for that, cl- that claim. So if they had not really seen it, they could have given that up at any point as a ruse. But we know historically, like, a historical fact is that the movement of Jesus uh, didn't fizzle out. It, it grew uh, by leaps and bounds. It changed the whole world, the whole known world at that time. So, I'm sorry, I feel myself beginning to, to dance protect a little bit here. But um, I think there are reasons for you to trust these accounts are reliable. But Paul is saying, listen, Christ uh, has died. Christ was buried. Christ uh, has risen from the grave and he's appeared to a bunch of people. And that's the, that's the narrative that Luke gives us that we read just a little bit earlier. So just to notice just a couple of details from Luke's account as, as we move through it. First, Christ died. Okay. Luke says, this is where our text began. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Just listen to a couple of those details. I want you to notice them. First is the natural world is affected, which is is bizarre and hard to get our minds around, but um, I I won't say much more about that, but there, there are these natural phenomenon going on. Then there's this huge, thick curtain that separated the most holy part of the temple, and it was torn in two. And then we see this relationship, somehow this relationship within God. One of the things Jesus was being uh, crucified for were his, his claims to divinity, his claims to be, to be one with, with, with the Father. And now he's speaking to the Father on the cross and saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is God speaking with God. We, we have the, the, the curtain uh, being torn in two. We, ha- we see the relationship that is w- within God's very nature and character. God speaking with God, a glimpse into the Trinity. Whatever is happening, it is not just about um, an individual person or people. It is about the whole world. Um, a new way of relating to God is, is beginning here. And God has been conspiring to make it happen. Uh, I want you just to consider this for a moment, uh, particularly about the, the tearing of the curtain in the temple that, that Luke draws out for us. And it's mentioned in the other Gospels as well. This mysterious and powerful God, this majestic God of Israel, Yahweh, um, has been working with his people to show what he is like in the world, how, how, to, how to live, how to know God, how to worship, how, how to be in community, how to help work to see the world repair and, and renewed. And this is the second time by Jesus' day, it's the second time that they've built a temple to worship Yahweh. And part of what Israel had learned in the process of walking with their God was that disregarding God's word, disregarding God's ways and instruction, disregarding God's character has absolutely devastating consequences. They learned this lesson over and over again. God is is life. Yahweh is the, the source, the giver, the guide. 
to part ways with God, uh, that's what the Bible actually calls sin, to part ways with God, was to bring death into that place of separation. If you, if you separate from life, from the source, what comes into that vacuum, what comes into that place of separation is, is death. Death of trust, death of intimacy, death of vocation, death of security. Uh, in, the, in the Genesis story, this death, uh, and, and I hope you won't think I'm insensitive for saying it like this, this death spreads like a virus to all of humanity. It, it impacts and, and brings brokenness to every level of relationship, pouring out from that, that, for, that fall in the garden. And Israel has been learning um, with Yahweh, as, as Yahweh is working to, to bring them into full participation in the repair of the world. They've been learning that the result of sin, the result of the separation was indeed death. And so um, the temple was a place where the sacrificial lamb was offered. And I, I believe even this whole arrangement still broke God's heart. You see the resistance al- along the way. But there are, there, just hear this and, and consider this in your mind for a moment. There are spiritual realities in the world, in the universe, that are just as real, that are just as reliable as natural laws. The law of gravity is, is absolutely real. Um, the, the, the science of how a virus spreads uh, is real, even if we are still learning. Uh, there, are, there are laws of, of ther- you know, thermodynamics. The law of sin leading to death is a spiritual reality that is woven into to the world. If you separate from spiritual life, if you separate from God, what comes in to that, to that vacuum is death. And Israel's temple was built on this reality. There were sacrifices, uh, amongst other things, <laughs> there were sacrifices of atonement being made. And God was uh, regularly saying, it's not because I want these animals to die, but I, I, I want you to see the devastating consequences of sin. Sin always results in, in death, as we mentioned just before. And also that there's an incompatibility of being near to God when you have the virus of sin. Communion with God breaks down because of this, this brokenness that is woven through our story. And so there, there, there is, uh, if you can say it, the, the curtain in the temple was there to make sure there was an appropriate amount of distance and all of a sudden, uh, things begin to change, right? Only the high priest and only once a year could go through that curtain on the Day of Atonement into the most holy place. And, and yet as Jesus is dying, that old system is ending. The veil is torn. The way is open. Now Christ himself is the veil. And anyone who comes through Christ um, can, can know Yahweh now and forever, can be brought in to that holy place, can be, can be embraced, can be forgiven, can be, can be loved. We can be brought into that relationship that we see uh, you know, referenced in conversation on the cross Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So as Christ dies, this powerful symbol of, uh, uh, that a new world was beginning is that the veil of the temple was torn in two. And then we see a bunch of strange reactions, right? So Christ dies, and then there's a bunch of reactions to it. And then Christ, Christ is buried, right? That's the next part that Paul summarizes. That's the part that, that Luke hits in his narrative. And I would just see a couple of the reactions, right? You have this Roman centurion soldier who had presumably participated in the crucifixion. Um, who would have been in charge of at least 100 soldiers. And he has this total change of heart. 
As, as he has seen just how Jesus died, he has a total change of heart and, and his heart is realigned and he begins to praise God. This Roman soldier sees this. Then we also have, and, and I love I love how they're mentioned, we're going to say a little bit more about this later, but you have these women who love Jesus, who are, who are faithful when almost everyone else has fled. They're still there. They're keeping watch. They're making preparations. They're spying to see where Jesus is, is buried. Um, they're tremendously faithful, even as everyone else flees. They, they, and they keep Sabbath. There's so much to say. Uh, and then you have Joseph of Arimathea, who is a rich man, um, who presumably had a lot to lose in this moment by linking up with a failed and newly executed revolutionary. This is not the time when Rome has just publicly killed this man to say, oh yeah, I'm a part of the people who care, uh, care about his movement. Um, but he shows, he shows courage, and more courage than even some of the disciples who are hiding, and, and he not only risks his neck, but he risks his, his, his money. He gets permission from Pilate to take Jesus' body and bury him. So we have Christ died, and then by the end of Good Friday, we have Christ uh, who, who is buried. And then Easter, right? Christ is risen. Hear, hear it again. Let this wash over you. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you why he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. Jesus, whom they had just had the courage to watch, die is not where they expect him to be. The tomb is empty, and they are the first to hear the gospel. He is not here. He is risen. And then it begins to sink in for them. Uh, these women who had been following, who had been listening so intently to the things Jesus said about the kingdom of God and how it was going to work and about his own life and about where he was headed and what that was going to mean, the pieces began to, to sink in for, for, for them. It says they remembered his words. The things he'd been saying for the last three years all of a sudden began to click into place in a new way. And right in the middle of their agony, right in the middle of their confusion and fear, right in the middle of their, their grief, even though they show tremendous re resolve, right in the middle of that, uh, God begins to move. God begins to show up. Right at the moment where we and, and you and them and all of us might be most tempted to say, where could God possibly be in all of this? God begins to show up. Uh, Ronald Rollheiser makes a comment on this dynamic, and I think it's powerful. He, he says, where is God in all of this? What's God's answer? God's answer is in the resurrection. But resurrection, resurrection is not necessarily rescue. God doesn't necessarily rescue us from the effects of evil or even death. Evil does what it does. Natural disasters are what they are. And just as Jesus let his dear friend Lazarus die, and just as God let Jesus die, God redeems. God raises us up afterward in a deeper, more lasting vindication. And the truth of that statement can be tested empirically. 
Despite every appearance, sometimes in the end, love does triumph over hatred. Peace does triumph over chaos. Forgiveness does triumph over bitterness. Hope does triumph over cynicism. Fidelity does triumph over despair. Virtue does triumph over sin. Conscience does triumph over callousness. Life does triumph over death. The resurrection most forcibly makes that point. God has the last word. The resurrection of Jesus is that last word. From the ashes of shame, of seeming defeat, failure, and death, a new, deeper, and eternal life perennially burst forth. Our faith begins at the very point where it seems it might end. I love those words. So many words have come before, but God in the resurrection is taking the last word on Easter morning, and these women are there to hear it first. And these women become the apostles to the apostles. They're the first ones to preach the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus. They're the first one to speak of these new new possibilities. So this is Easter morning. This is the, the story, the event that we're celebrating, and it has uh, rippled out from this garden, rippled out from this moment all across the ages of the world, all, all, all across every moment of history, every, every people group. Um, but but uh, what, what about this Easter morning? Uh, how does it impact the, the rest of our lives? How does it impact every other morning after that? If these women were the first to, to um, preach the message of this resurrection hope, what does it mean uh, for us today? And, and, and very quickly, I want to say that I think it makes possible three things. Forgiveness, it makes us family. It can make us family with God forever, and it can secure our future. I want you just to see these things, these new possibilities that spring out of the empty tomb of Jesus on Easter morning. The first is uh, forgiveness. As I said before, I hope, I hope that you won't think I'm being glib uh, or, or insensitive to compare the reality of sin in our world and in our, in our lives to, to a virus. Um, it breaks the world, and it breaks us. It brings... Uh, death. I, I think Ronald Rollheiser um, puts this really well. He, he says, we are all part of that chain. Everyone is wounded and everyone wounds. Everyone sins and everyone is sinned against. Everyone needs to forgive and everyone needs to be forgiven. Betray- betrayal is an archetypal structure within the human soul, just as sin is innate within the human condition. We all of us betray and sin. We betray ourselves, betray our loved ones, betray our communities, and we sin against our God. Everyone stands in need of forgiveness. Everyone stands in need of forgiveness for this virus to be rooted out of us and rooted out of the world. And the cross of Jesus and the resurrection breaks that chain that he's referencing and offers us a way out. The combination of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and on Easter morning means that Christ is, as his cousin said in the beginning of his his ministry, Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The torn veil points to that reality. The, The empty tomb absolutely shouts it. Jesus himself can embrace us no matter where we are, no matter what we have done or left undone. I want to say that to you one more time. Jesus can embrace us because of what's happened on the cross and resurrection. No matter where we are, no matter what we have done or left undone. The letter to the largest uh, church uh, in, in the first century, or to the largest city in the first century, summarizes Easter like this. The letter to the Romans in chapter 6, it says, For the wages of sin is death. 
It's a spiritual law. It is a reality that when you separate from God, the wages, the result of that is that death comes into the story. Death comes into our lives. Death comes into our relationships. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Just a little while later in the letter, it says this. This is Easter hope right here. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We are free from that law of sin and death and made alive with Christ. Because of the cross, because of the resurrection, we can be forgiven, we can be made holy, we can, we can begin to, uh, to be in God's presence fully and intimately. And this means we can, we can uh, be offered adoption into God's family. We're forgiven and we're made family. God wants to know you. God wants you to know him. But more than that, God wants you to be brought into the family as son or daughter forever. The veil is torn. Jesus is risen. That means his spirit can fill our lives. It doesn't mean that you can go to some temple a long, a long way away from here and, and go all the way into the inner room. No, it means that the spirit is, is making our very lives a temple. His spirit can fill our lives. Romans 8 says it this way. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We have a full share and what it means to be family. And, and, and to be family means the reality of the resurrection begins in our life. It becomes our life. That means you can drag all of your hopes and disappointments into the garden on Easter morning. You can bring your real self, your family self, your un, un, unfiltered self before God. It means that you can let go of the exhaustion of constructing a world um, of of uh, revolving functional other saviors, of these other little false gods, of these other places that we try to root our identity and root our lives. It means if you have dreams that have died, they do not have to stay that way. You can be made family with God. If you can bear it, I'm going to give you one more qu quote from Ronald Rollheiser. The resurrection is not just something that happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago and will happen to each of us sometime in the future after we die when our bodies will be raised to new life. It is that, but it is much more. The resurrection is something that buoys up every moment of life and every aspect of reality. God is always making new life and undergirding it with a goodness, graciousness, mercy, and love that in the end heals all wounds, forgives all sins, and brings deadness um, uh, of all kinds to new life. Brings deadness of all kinds to new life. So in Christ, implications of Easter, folks, in Christ, we can be forgiven. We are, if you trust Christ, forgiven. In Christ, we can be, or we are already made family. That, that means no matter what, the last thing, our future is bound up with God. Something utterly new began on Easter morning. Uh, in the rest of the New Testament, Christ is called the firstborn over all creation, the firstborn from among the dead. Finally, we get it, folks. Finally, we made it there. The quotable C.S. Lewis. It's Easter. Here's your C.S. Lewis quote. Are you ready? 
There is not in Scripture the faintest suggestion that the resurrection was evidence for something um, that in fact had always been happening. The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that had been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A chapter in cosmic history has opened. We are united with him. This becomes our future. As Jesus walks out of the grave, the firstborn from among the dead, a new creation, a new way of relating to God, a new way of being human, a new way of of seeing the world repair begins, and we become a part of that creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Our future is the new creation that began on Easter morning when Christ walked out of the grave. It means that we can give ourselves away for renewal right now. It means that we can take up this ministry of reconciliation even in these most difficult of times. It means we can push back against COVID-19 with courageous love knowing that it will not have the final word for us. We may lose, we may grieve, we may be in tremendous need in so many ways, but our hope is secure. We can be absolutely radically generous. We can give ourselves away. Our our foundation uh, for love is secure in this story. United to Christ, we can leave behind a trail of empty tombs. So Easter morning, here we are. And as as we close, I want to invite you to two possible responses this morning. There, there are, of course, maybe more, and, and we're trusting the Holy Spirit is, is going to be leading you, but I, I just want to mention at least two. Uh, the, the first is to place your trust in Christ, uh, especially if it's the first time you've ever done that. And the second is to practice resurrection. I just say a sentence or two about each one. The first is for those of you who, who, who know you've been considering Jesus, you've been um, exploring the ideas, you, maybe you've been visiting church for a while, maybe you've heard some of this before, but you know you've never fully committed your heart and life to Christ. I hope you know that Christ has fully committed to you. I hope that the, the story of the cross and resurrection makes that clear. And so the first invitation to respond is to place your trust in Christ. Receive the gift of Easter. Begin a new life with God. Accept the forgiveness that's offered. Accept um, the, uh, the, the offer to become family. Accept the off, offer of this future um, that, that comes to us uh, with God in Christ. To begin that, you can do it in the most simple possible way. You can pray um, words that make sense to you, words words out of your own heart. But I'm just going to give you a couple. If you're at a place where you're ready to have a DTR with God and say, listen, I want to receive the gift that you're offering. I want, I want to place my trust in Christ. Here's, here's the type of words that, that you might consider saying. You can pray these right along with me if, if you want to. Um, Heavenly Father, I accept the offer of new life in Christ. Please forgive me for my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and bring me into your family and kingdom. Raise me to new life with you. Help me follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.
millions of people around the world have prayed a prayer exactly like that or out of their own words similar to those those ideas in order to say God I want to begin with you a, a, a new relationship I want to receive what you're offering I want I want to I want to move towards you in faith so that's our first Easter response and invitation is if you never have place your trust in Christ and the second is for those of us who are already followers of Jesus I want to invite you to practice resurrection this Easter, like never before, right? We're in this unprecedented time in, in so many of our lives. Commit again with all of your heart to live in the reality of Easter. Commit with all of your heart each day to begin looking for Christ, believing Christ is present, speaking to Christ, pouring out your heart, dragging all of your hopes and expectations, your woundedness, your brokenness, your fears, right to the foot of the cross, right to the place of the empty tomb. Expect new life to be breaking out all over. You know that if you're a follower of Jesus, the power of the resurrection that is in Jesus that, that makes Easter what it is lives inside of you by the Spirit. The veil is torn. You are not kept separate. Let's practice resurrection. Let's give ourselves away as Christ did because we know we can. We know we have resurrection. We know we have a future, a security, a hope, a life with him that is put beyond the touch of death. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, right now I pray that you would move in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak in, in such a personal way to each person who's listening, that you would cut through all the defenses and the discouragement and the despair and the confusion, anything that might be preventing us from sensing your love, sensing your kindness, sensing the power of the resurrection, sensing uh, you inviting us to know you uh, or to recommit our hearts to you, God. I pray that many resurrection stories would be beginning right now. I pray that you would move that. I pray you give us the courage to trust you, that Jesus on the cross says he's committing his spirit into the Father's hands. I pray right now we could commit our spirit into your hands and know that means resurrection is ours. United to you, Jesus, resurrection is ours. I pray that you would raise many right now. Raise our hearts, raise our lives, fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Happy Easter.